I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. I'm your host, Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it is another episode. And today's episode is great. It's great not because of me, obviously, it's great because of today's guest. And that guest is Pure Evil, also known as Charles Edwards. I'd never met Charles before, um, and it was a, a real pleasure to, to, to get an hour of, of his time and, and to chat about music and, and art and his, his journey and the, the, the places and countries he's, he's, he's lived in. And he was a smashing fellow. Um, his Pure Evil Gallery is next door to the book club, which is where Scroobius, Pip and I do our events. So I spent plenty of time wandering around his gallery, having a look at his, his work. And it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. If you've never seen it before, then um, turn this off and go and have a look. Um, but, yeah, so before we get on with the episode, just quickly, um, a big thank you to 76 for producing this podcast. Thanks to Ben Berlin for letting me use the space in the WeWork building. Um, thanks to our sponsors, SOS Clothing. And thanks to you lot, I guess, for listening. That's the main reason we do this, right? Thank you ever so much. Also, um, if you um, like your podcasts, um, and you, I mean, first of all, go and have a look in the back catalogue of Off the Beaten Track because there's a bucket load of episodes with um, lots of creative, interesting people. And if that's not enough, then I also do a Patreon um, account. I have a Patreon page as well where you can go over there and there's a weekly show gets put on there as well. And so if you want to go over there and support the calls, that's amazing. Um, but if you're also interested in knowing what other podcasts there are out there, then, um, myself, Scroobius Pip and, um, my name is Ad, who does the artwork for, for this podcast. Um, we have a, a publication that we do with Acast and Spotify called Pod Bible. Um, you can read it online at podbiblemag.com or if you're in London and Brighton, then keep your eyes peeled because um, you can pick up a print copy. And uh, and it comes out every two months and it's uh, a kind of one-stop guide to, to to podcasts. And there's lots of interesting interviews and features with lots of your favourite podcasters and such. So if you get a chance, then um, go and have a look at that. We're on all the social media platforms as well so um yeah go and give pop my uh, pop bible a, a follow and while you're over on them socials if you're not following off the beaten track sort that out anyway i've spoke way too long now so please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with pure evil i've got an announcement save our souls clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk 
Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairware Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. We are at the WeWork building in, uh, in Liverpool Street. Kindly supplied to us today by uh, my good friend Ben Berlin. And sitting opposite me today is Charles Edwards, a.k.a. Pure Evil. Hello. You right? Yeah, good. Really good. Thank you ever so much for uh, coming up and doing this today. Yes, yeah, my pleasure. And especially talking about music is something that I love. So, yeah, let's get into it. Splendid. Well, just quickly, you mentioned when we were chatting briefly before, and I'll try my hardest not to sort of engage too much in conversation before we press recall, because I want to sort of try and capture most of it. Yeah. But you mentioned you live in the country, so uh, right. do you just generally? Because obviously, just to give the sort of your listeners a, a bit of a an idea, where, where we're recording now is probably a five minute walk from your studio. Yeah, it is. It's just around the corner. Um, so I've had the studio and the gallery for gosh, probably about eleven or twelve years now. Um, so I was living on Old Street and then Shoreditch High Street and then Hackney Road. Um, but then when I got married, my wife said, this sucks, it's dirty, and um, we've got crackheads outside the house, and there's, you know, police cars and fire ambulances going past and all kinds of stuff. Fire ambulances? That doesn't sound very safe. Um, <laughs> so, you know, ambulances on fire were going past. Yeah. And so we moved to the countryside, um, which is a secret. I want to pretend that I'm, like, really still, you know, deep in the urban vibe. Yeah. And I live under a bridge in Shoreditch. Yeah. We'll edit all of that out, Yeah, right? edit it all out. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I have a secret life. I live out in the countryside. I get into the gallery super early, and so I have at least a few hours 
to paint before everyone else shows up and then we have to run the business of the gallery um, so I can just smash out some art and you know work on what I'm doing and then I try and sneak out of the place early as well because I've got an artist studio out in the countryside randomly there was a illustrator who used to illustrate I think he did like a ZZ Top album cover and I think he did Agatha Christie novels wow so for 20 years this artist studio has been kind of ruined and so we bought it from the other residents and we've done it up so I've got this little sort of artist studio out in the countryside where's the countryside uh Hartford oh nice yeah so I mean it's 40 minutes from here by train and you know by the time I could actually find somewhere to afford I would have been 40 minutes away from Shoreditch Absolutely. the way that sort of you know prices have, been, have were going so it's lovely and we get excited about kingfishers and owls uh yesterday um, I basically just took a day off from London and just stayed at home and then just I bought a bunch of crazy Japanese signs that I've been thinking about painting. So my next project is going to be like a sort of a 5G Godzilla. There's all this sort of, you know, sort of scare about 5G transmitters and the sort of, you know, it seems like there's this sort of Godzilla type radiation force that's yeah. coming for them. So for these Japanese signs that I've bought, they're going to be like 5G nice. Godzillas. Yeah, so it's kind of all these ideas are spinning around in my head. So I think it's nice to have space mm. just to think because mm. we're constantly bombarded with, um, you know, sort of information. Sometimes you need that space for inspiration to Absolutely. come. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you seen a kingfisher? Yeah, they're amazing. You've seen one? Yeah. I was in Norfolk about three weekends ago and my wife and we was walking through it and as I was Growing up, my dad always had loads of different books about birds, and, and he yeah. was always out and about looking for these different birds. And and the, the kingfisher was the holy grail for me, and I've still never seen one. And That's I was amazing. like literally wandering along the river, for, and I was thinking, might see one today. Never happened. I'm see, jealous. I'm it's jealous, so Charles. good, man. It's just like it's. We went to. I realised that I actually was a bird watcher when I was in New York, and I was looking up you know, what a red cardinal was, because I saw it in Central Park, yeah. and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to get one of those special bird-watching hats yep. and a vest. Yep. I need to get the right gear. Of course. You know, because obviously you need a vest yeah. with a lot of pockets if you're looking at birds. Obviously. I think. Um, Do you need one of them, like, walking sticks that also opens up as a seat on the top? Do you know the ones I mean? I think so. Because we actually went to a bird sanctuary, and we sat in, like, a little keep. And when the kingfisher showed up for like a split second, it was almost like Elvis had kind of entered the <laughs> building. And then Elvis swiftly left. Brilliant. You know, it was, it was just amazing. But it's nice to kind of, you know, not have to try so hard to be cool and get excited about kingfishers. Yeah. They're awesome. Well, the listeners will be the judge on just how cool you are by your song choices today. Yeah. And uh, I could have made a lot cooler no I'm, jo I'm joking Charles honestly um, I say it a lot because the, the beauty of this son and this is probably going to be episode maybe 70 now and mm. every single person we've had on has just been honest and yeah. has not been cool they're like look I wasn't listening to John Peel when I was 11 years old. You know, yeah. I was buying Roland Rat records. And, yeah, uh, exactly. So, um, yeah. so let's get things started. We track one, uh, Charles, and that's the song with the greatest intro. Yeah, Led Zeppelin, Kashmir. I thought Black Dog was good, and mm. then I kind of listened to the two, and I think Kashmir has just got, you know, it's just got that energy, and it just jumps in, and it's incredible. 
yeah. and you've got John Bonham, the Beast, just smashing it on the drums. I actually bought um, a Ludwig Vista light drum kit with all of the right symbols to match what he had as his sort of orange Vista light um, black dog drum kit. And yeah, I've got that in the gallery. I'm too scared to really, really go for it on it. But it's just, it's the most beautiful object, you know, the, just the way that the light catches it. So eventually I want to see that in, you know, sort of in a museum with just yeah. the right lighting and you just walk into a room and it's just this drum kit. I haven't got like the full size gong. Yeah. I decided not to go for the gong, but I've got all the other, you know, all the other bits and pieces. Yeah. It's just amazing music. And I always think about, um, Chuck's Guide to the Galaxy, and when the you know the Vogons decided that they were going to destroy Earth to make way for a hyperspace bypass, I always think if they came to us and said, "Look, we're really you know keen on just destroying the planet," and we said, "Look, if we've got just one thing that you know we think is amazing, will you leave us alone and not destroy the planet?" Mm. And I would happily just give them you know a listen to Led Zeppelin too, and say, "Look, if you." think that you know we've sort of haven't created anything great mm. you know then go ahead destroy the planet and i i, w- I would have no regrets if then they went because yeah. mm, you'd never have that sort of, i think it's a french um phrase which is l'esprit d'escalier it's the spirit of the staircase it's when you're leaving somewhere going down the staircase and you go oh i could have said that or i could have yeah. done that or i could have said you know uh, altered images happy birthday and it would have just been you know that would have saved the planet yeah. You've got to just say Led Zeppelin, really. Okay. So, can you drum then? I drum like a kind of caveman would if he actually sat on a set of drums for the first time. Yeah. Or was like trying to keep time on a log. Yeah. You know, after a while, you kind of, you're not thinking about it, you just become primal. Mm. And so, what I had in the basement of the gallery for a long time was the man cave. And we had a, like an old um, stag drum kit in the corner. And then when I had all my keyboards and drum machines and all kinds of, like, a lap steel and all this kind of stuff. So me and my buddies would just hang out and jam in the basement. Back when I was uh, an unmarried man, we would just have our Friday nights and just drink whiskey and make music. And, you know, you'd have a sort of a two-hour piece of music that sounded amazing that night. And then you'd listen back to it the next day and go, hmm, okay, maybe we could have been a little bit more concise. Yeah. But I think there's something to be said for just making music in a room with mm. your mates when you're sort of something happens and you're all looking around going Whoa, who's making this music yeah you know it's like it's not one of you it's all of you together yeah and it, you have that feeling of you know if we had to stop now and press record we would just get red light fever yeah. it would spoil it all and the moments don't happen you could be jamming for Weeks and weeks on end, but they're moments when everything just seems to work. They're yeah. quite rare. just comes together. I mm. think Can was a good example yeah, of that. Yeah, absolutely. Great like, show. the way that they recorded and the way that they had that. I mean, God, they had a bloody castle where they would just hang out mm. and record, and that's just amazing. And different sort of people who came along, you know, like Damo Suzuki just showing up. They're like, mm. oh, this guy's pretty cool. Why don't we get him to come in? And yeah. then he just kills yeah. him. Yeah. So do you think there's like a... A threshold you have to reach as a drummer before you can get a gong. Do you think the gong's like the holy grail? Like once you've got that, you've 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 qualified. Well, go on then. Let's get you a riser and fuck it. You can have a gong as well. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think I think the riser's got to come first. But it says a lot about the seventies, doesn't it? It's yeah. like this is what I really need to really just kick it off. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm going to have my twenty minute drum solo and I need to sort of flesh it out with a bit yeah. of a gong. 
Yeah, it's important to have. What happened to gongs? Don't see it anymore. It's a shame. No, no not enough gongs. <laughs> All right, Charles, for track two. Uh, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Yeah, this is a weird one because it's actually um, Verdi's Requiem. And my godmother used to review music for, I think it was the Sunday Times. So she was always giving me records. So I had a lot of, um, like, seven-inch records that she would just, you know, she'd be giving them to review, and then I would be the recipient of them. But uh, her nice. husband, yeah, her husband was uh, an opera producer, David Poutney, and so I had this box set. He is still an opera producer. Um, I had this box set of uh, Herbert von Karajan um, conducting Verdi's Requiem, and it's just dark, you know. It's just a, a Requiem mass of the dead, and... It's just, you hear that, and it's just terrifying. You know, it just kind of, um, it's all about, you know, mortality and, you know, life and death, and it's just amazing music. And also just the sexiness of, like, a 190-gram vinyl, taking it out of the sleeve, putting it on, you know, and each yeah. one is like, you've maybe got 15 to 18 minutes, and it's just, it just jumps out at you. And that would have impacted emotionally how? Just terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. Just darkness and power. And, um, you know, I think this was sort of the, one of the last things that Verdi actually recorded when he knew he was dying. And I think, you, you know, you kind of want to leave a lasting um, impression, you know, mm -hmm. um, through the things that you do with your life. And I guess as you, as you find, you know, your life sort of coming close to the end, you've got to think about your mm -hmm. mortality and what is... You know, what is life and what is death? I'm kind of cool about death because I feel like we go through a door. We go somewhere else. I don't think, you know, um, it's just the end and that's it. You go in the ground and you're just worm food. I believe that, you know, there's, there's somewhere else. I know because I kind of, you know, I've lost people in my life and I feel that I can still talk to them. I feel like they're still somewhere else. Um, and, you know, it's the kind of... Buddhist thing as well. It's like we, you know, we sort of we return, you know, or we go somewhere else. It's that mystery, and the mystery is we don't know for sure. Yeah. You know, I had a friend of mine um, who said, "Yeah, well, you know, death is that it. That's it. You're done. It's over. You know, you just end up in the ground." And then I kind of talked to him a couple of years later, and he kind of changed his mind and kind of softened to it. And you know, so that kind of music that makes you think about, you know, what is life and you know, what what's it all about. Um, it's pretty powerful. And you said terrifying. Yeah. And, and how old was you roughly when you heard that? Oh, I was about seven or eight. Okay. So by then I imagine getting a, a rough idea of, of, of when you was born and stuff from doing some prep on this today. You know, you mentioned Claire Grogan and old images earlier and, and, and hearing stuff like that, which I did as well as a young man and thought it was brilliant pop music and, had a massive crush on Claire Grogan, oh my God, obviously. So sexy. And, uh, yeah. But as much as there was, you know, and it was a time of some of the greatest pop music ever, the early 80s, in regards to them kind of synth pop, you know, hooks and, and stuff like that, it was, it was riddled with, with great pop music. But I always found, do you, do you not find that as, as, as even, not even just as a young person, the terrifying is more interesting and will draw you in more? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I love Trevor Horn. I, you know, I think I went out searching for um, uh, pop music, the single in like Pembrokeshire in Tembe, in, in mm -hmm. Woolworths, because obviously we bought all our records from Woolworths obviously. back in the day, and um, they didn't have it. 
So I think that led me to, you know, my first ever purchase in a, in a record store. But it was those things of like having, having heard a song and it's in your head. And then the next thing is you have to track it down and find yeah. it. You know, our whole sort of listening experience is so different now. It's just you want to hear any single song that Led Zeppelin's ever done. Bosh, you've got Two it there. Two seconds is there. You know, there's, no, there's no more crate digging. There's no nothing. journey. Yeah. And if you hear something, I mean, there's, there's two things. There's one is hearing a song and then going, right, what is that Shazam? And then suddenly you know what it is. Sure. But then there's also, you have like, you know, you love a band and you don't think everyone knows about them. And then you go into Pret and they're playing it. And that, that band's dead to you then because it's, <laughs> it's not a secret anymore. You know, it's just like, oh, real estate. Now everyone knows about real estate. Yeah. That's terrible. You know, so... Yeah, and I always ha- I always joke with a friend of mine. He seems to only like bands that only release music on like cassettes in France. So you know, there's the sort of the real, real, real you know sort of niche collectors yeah. who you know they they sort of maybe they they couldn't actually allow themselves to enjoy a music if they thought that it was too mainstream and too popular. But we're we're all like that. You know, we all like maybe the first two albums from a band and then they start to get popular and for some reason we just we don't want to know anything about them after that i think that's very much the case for maybe the last 20 to 30 years mm. because in in this day and age i think if if you're lucky enough to get two albums out and you get a chance to do a third then you've obviously made a lot of money and things change but i think going back to the 60s and 70s bands like floyd being a prime example mm. um and like, i think them first couple of albums weren't necessarily multi-million pound albums, but the industry is a very different thing then in, in regards to it would support you yeah. and nurture your creativity to the point where you would, a few albums in, kind of get that breakthrough album. Yeah. You know and you're saying? hungry as well. You're yeah, at completely. that hungry stage. It's like the Rolling Stones when they're playing in little you know, gigs in Teddington yeah. and they're really trying to... You know, they've got their best material out at that time. Yeah. And I think later on you get all your sort of crew who are telling you how fantastic you are. Yeah. Like how we went to see um, Public Enemy, we went to see De La Soul, we went to see Wu-Tang the other day. So I have very mixed reviews about that. Yeah, it was pretty poor, actually, to be honest. Sorry, everyone. Griff and um, Flav weren't there, were they? No. Terminator no. X weren't there? No, it was, it was quite... Um, we got to Public Enemy, and I knew Wu-Tang were coming along, and I thought, oh, I can't take it anymore, because if they come out and they're really bad, I'll just feel really sad. Now, in my head, they were amazing, and it was better for me to actually leave earlier. And my wife wasn't really feeling Public Enemy, to be honest. She's like, oh, I'm not sure about this. She does that thing when, when you're watching telly and you're watching a violent movie and she's not really digging it, she's like, oh, is, is Antiques Roadshow on at the moment? You know, you just know she's not really... And you won't really enjoy it, it if the people you're with aren't enjoying it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. Um, I, heard, I, th- I heard Wu-Tang were pretty good. I heard, like... I heard it weren't the... F- there young weren't many DB, of them, though. Yeah, Young DB was kind of jumping around. I would have been interested to see that, but... Like we're saying about the first albums, I mean, I wanted to hear so much more of um, De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. I think we got one song, you know. No way. Yeah, and that's a tricky one also because so much of that was sample-based that they can't actually... Um, no, all those samples weren't cleared. So that's the problem with the first album in the sort of the Shopify, um, Spotify generation. People can't actually listen to it. I don't think it's actually available on... Um, Spotify because of the sample really? clearance problem. So we have to go back to the the vinyl that we actually bought back then. That's 
to yeah. this day still my favorite hip-hop album of all time i know incredible and the year that it came out that was like fool's gold year so those two albums coming out that reminds me you know of a time and a place that reminds you of being doing a fashion degree in uh, kingston school of art kingston poly at the yeah. time and just you know the music coming out and yeah you know, just just you know so so fresh looking, in your mind looking at the track you've chosen for your clubbing years yeah it's from around that era so i'm sure we'll get stuck into Ooh. that when uh when Absolutely. we get to that one. But um, let's start school for the time being, Charles. And for track three, the song that reminds you of school. song that reminds me of school? Quadrophenia. It reminded me of... Secondary or junior? Um, I think it was secondary, to be honest. I think it was... I was doing um, part of, like, West Glamorgan youth drama thing with Michael Sheen and a bunch of other people... Ed Thomas, who did a bunch of stuff for Doctor Who. And we used to go to, like, a residential centre um, and, like, practice, you know, um, plays and do sketches and stuff like that. And me and my friend were just fed up with it, and we were listening to a lot of Quadrophenia, and we just quit, and we just walked out one night and went walking on the beach. And that, that sort of... Quadrophenia is an incredible album, and it kind of changed my life because I had a really cool cousin who told me about this film that she'd seen called Quadrophenia. And she told me the whole story. And she told me, you know, it was just... The story was incredible. Then I had to go and find it. And I found in Woolworths a um, double album with no cover for 99p. And I just took it back. And, you know, on my Sansui record player, tape player, radio, I just played it again and again and again. And just the story of it. And also the ambient bits of the beach and the sea and the sounds and the, the use of expression and voice and to tell a story. You know, yeah. it was, it was, it, it's, it's a rock opera, obviously. Um, and it, it really, it made me, um, I could really feel the story, you know, and just the whole thing was just incredible. It was difficult for me because I grew up in um, the middle of nowhere in Wales so I was later the only new romantic in the village at that time. I wanted to be the only you mod. You need that on your CV. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a mod, but it was so hard because I couldn't even, like, afford a parker. Yeah. My dad, I remember being, we stayed in Dalston once and a whole bunch of scooters went past in the middle of the night. And I was just freaking out about how cool it was. Yeah. And my dad promised me that he'd buy me a, a scooter. And I you know, that just probably just said that so I could go yeah. back to sleep. Um, so I really, really, really wanted to so, be a mod. So did that second wave of, of, of mod sort of miss where you was with the kind of secret fair and stuff like that? Yeah, because I kind of thought that didn't re I didn't really love that so much, mm. you know. I liked mm. The Who and I loved being able to go back through the back catalogue and listen to The Who. Um, yeah, it was, it was something else. But I guess that conversation with my cousin about Quadrophenia kind of changed my life because it got me into street style it got me into street culture it got me into you know uh urban culture so were you a mod were you a rocker were you uh you know do you wear a zoot suit do you um choose to be a new romantic do you choose to be you know a skinhead it's like there were all these different sort of sub subcultures that you could sort of go right well this one fits me i'm gonna go for that look and you know like i said the the whole sort of new romantic thing I was living out in the middle of nowhere in the countryside and, you know, like playing around with eyeliner and trying to look like Simon Le Bon. 
I mean, what must I have looked like walking around the valleys of Wales? But I think I've met other people as well. I've got another buddy who I, I met. At, um, uh, he's, he's one of the guys who works with um, Alex and the Orb. And he was saying exactly the same thing. It's like, we all know that. Growing up in the middle of nowhere, you know, you pick a place anywhere. And I think people understand what it's like to be growing up in the middle of nowhere and wishing you were hanging out in London with Steve Strange or, you know, there's other things that you feel like you want to be doing. And it, they act as a springboard for you because then when you get a chance to come to London, then you want to check it out. Or when, yeah. you know, you sort of, you're dreaming about California and you eventually make it out there. Um, it's just, you know, it's like being in a dream. Yeah. Yeah. I think Quadrophenia is, is, is one of them films that I think a lot of young teenage lads, it, it did change so much for them because it, it certainly did for me. Mm. I, I, and, and you mentioned in the ambience of that water, and then I think it's probably at the beginning of Real Me. It's definitely at the beginning of Love Rain on Me. Yeah. And, and it's just, I can picture it. Just by hearing that, I can picture I, I must have seen that film 200 times. It's like, yeah. it was just one of them films that, at that point in, in, in so many of me and my mates' lives, that film was everything. Yeah. And I've never been a mod. Uh, but that, again, probably, after hearing you say that, was my gateway into understanding youth culture. Yeah, exactly. And also, you think about, you know, now, um, the, this whole kind of Spotify thing where... You don't have the record and you don't have the gatefold and you don't have the great photographs. Yeah. And buying the record from Woolworths with no, you know, sort of gatefold and none of that uh, was a shame because when I actually got hold of, a, of a, like, the actual gatefold mm. with the photographs and I think yeah. there's two different versions. There is, There's yeah. one with more sort of not quite so related to the film, but they just tell a story. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, I, I could relate to that. And, you know, all through my life, I felt like, you know, kind of an outsider. And I, it kept me moving, you know. Uh, when I moved to uh, the West Coast, when I moved to California, I finally was walking down past Castro Street, and this man walked past me with a ball gown on and a tiara and a massive ginger beard. And I thought, cool, these are my people. You know, I'm not like an outsider anymore because we're all outsiders. You know, this guy probably came from Kansas so he could strut his stuff in San Francisco. As the only new romantic in the village, yeah. how, how was that? It was tough, man. It was a tough one because everyone else was into Iron Maiden. So I wouldn't say I was fighting all the time, but there, were definitely, there was definitely a lot of fighting going on. You didn't concede and just think, I'm just going to pretend I like maid, and you, you wanted to wear your stripes on your sleeve. I wanted to wear my, like, double-breasted shirt and my sort of, you know, baggy trousers, and I wanted to have pointy shoes, and I wanted to do all that. Um, that was just the way I was. And I think it's kind of... It's, it's, treat, it's given me a good lesson because I've always tried to rebel, um, you know, and look what I'm, I'm doing now. I'm sort of making art that hopefully has a message... Um, you know, if you get into street art and graffiti, you're obviously trying to make a statement and trying to kick against society a little bit. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a good background for me. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. So if we're talking about secondary school and, 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 and the, the, the kind of discovering sort of youth culture and stuff, was you at school when uh, sort of the, the early sort of hip hop and electro broke through and, and break dancing and, and graffiti? Was that was that school? Wasn't really school for me in Swansea. I mean, it was more like madness, baggy trousers. Yeah, you know, it was really like that. Yeah, um, we were a, a, a Catholic comprehensive, and there was a local school across the hillside from us. And we used to have sort of you know high noon running battles with the, with the other school. Yeah. So it was quite um, yeah, and I was like in a, in a little group of like the weird kids. Um, so yeah, it was more sort of like a John Hughes meets you know Wales kind of story rather than hip hop and electro and all of that. So you mentioned street art and, and, and graffiti. What what was your kind of introduction to that then? That came much later. That was. Wanting to leave the UK around the time of the poll tax riots and actually wow. walking into Trafalgar Square on the day of the poll tax riot yeah. and sitting on top of a phone box and just watching it all, yeah. you know, watching it all unfold. Partly for my, my own safety because it was chaos, yeah. but also just, you know, you're, this is going to be something where yeah. you will not forget this day. Yeah. It was just kicking off. And after that, I just thought, I don't mean the conservatives really ruined society and I, I had to get out of it and I had to leave London. There wasn't, you know, you finish college and you want to be, you know, a sort of a designer or an artist. And it didn't seem like that was, you know, a sort of a viable, you know, sort of career path. So I had to really just get out of the UK. I took a two week trip to California. I got a ticket to San Francisco, LA, 
in San Diego. And then when I was in San Diego, I got off the job working for a streetwear company. So I just didn't come back for 10 years. Okay, well, I want to go back to that mm. uh, in a little bit. But um, before we do um, move sort of too far forward with, um, with your journey so far, for track four, it's the first record you remember buying. Yeah, Golden Brown. And that was it. I was going to go and buy pop music by um, oh, Trevor right. Horn. Yeah. Talk about pop music. Um, and it wasn't available. Didn't have it in the record shop. So I went for something else. I went for Golden Brown. See, I think that's a terrifying record. Yeah. I didn't know it was about drugs. Not did I. I think it sounds dark as fuck. Yeah. Really is, but mm. it's a beautiful, beautiful mm. song as well. You know, you can imagine like a baroque orchestra doing an amazing version yeah, of that completely. as well. Because the, I mean, it's it's kind of nothing like any other song that they've ever made. Like, where did that song come from? It must just come out of the ether. Yeah, you know, and the melody just came along, and it was just this rolling, beautiful melody, and the lyrics are just incredible. And I've never really, you know, felt the urge to go out and listen to a lot of stranglers and you know what never really sort of bought albums but that song was just it was beautiful yeah just really 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 nice it wasn't like a druggy phase that i was going through yeah yeah you know it was just a nice amazing song and this was when i was buying you know altered images and i was buying all this other stuff yeah. and it just it was incredible so before we sort of talk about you relocating to to california mm. um when you was at school. Uh, how was was your creativity encouraged? My dad was a painter, um, and so I grew up surrounded by art. And I helped him stretch canvases, and you know met other artists. And my whole world was art. He painted every single day. He painted on Christmas Day. He could not stop. His mission was to paint. Um, so. Yeah, I was just surrounded by it. I remember doing, you know, drawings when I was four, crocodiles and stuff like that. So I always had access to art materials. But because he was such a prolific artist and I realized how much of a commitment you had to make to becoming an artist, it consumes your life, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to do anything but. And because of my background with, you know, the whole neuromantic thing, I started making clothing and I did a fashion degree, so I, you know, learned how to pattern cut, and I was, you know, I was a troublemaker in college, but it got me into streetwear, and so I avoided my path, really, you know, I did everything I could not to become an artist, and, I mean, thinking about it, streetwear and street art, they're pretty close anyway, because you're taking, yeah. you know, sort of culture um, from, you know, sort of the sort of urban nature of things and whether it's a graphic on a t-shirt or whether it's a canvas it's really the same thing so i worked for a company called anarchic adjustment um we were first of all based in san jose and then we moved up to san francisco so i was there designing clothes and it was heavily sort of um, embedded within the rave scene so on the first week i got there we were there you know sort of we had like a, a stall at the rave selling t-shirts to tripped out you know, people, we were pretty tripped out at the same time. And so it was an amazing time to be there. You always think about, wow, what would it have been like to be in San Francisco during, you know, the Haight-Ashbury hippie period, 1967. Yeah. But actually being in San Francisco at, you know, sort of the time 
you know, beginning of the 90s when a lot of people from the UK had actually left Thatcher's Britain and moved to the West Coast and they were running sound systems and doing parties. So we did a sort of, you know, a weekly party um, in an old uh, club that had a, a, an airplane inside it that the Doobie Brothers used to own. Yeah. Which was brilliant fun. You know, so we did that every... We did, it was like an ambient Monday night chill-out thing. Um, and then I would do, like, basically DJ at raves. I would do the chill-out rooms. So you'd have, you know, like a whole bunch of, you know, tents set up that people could go and dry hump in while you were playing, you know, sort of the moon landing mixed with Brian Eno, mixed with the orb, all this kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Orb actually come to, to South End last Friday and played live. And, oh, brilliant. And, uh, and I couldn't go. I had to work. But me, I had to cover one of the DJs because he wanted to go. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so back out on the road. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I, I saw them uh, recently at the Royal Festival. It was brilliant. It was really good. And, um, yeah, I'm buddies with Alex. And then one of, his, uh, one of the bass guitar guys who also does the graphics, he's over at the gallery right now doing some art. I'm helping him out to sort of take it from the laptop to canvases yeah oh wow yeah it's really really nice and also it's nice to sort of you know meet your idols and then make friends and kind of you know it's it's nice to be able to share yeah and uh hang out and hear some good stories because they were just down in morocco for a dior concert a dior fashion show there's like a cruise fashion show that um, dior does every season and it was the master musicians of jujuka mixed with the orb they were doing the soundtrack and then all the women were walking up and down the counter wow yeah it was incredible well it seems fitting now that that, that track five is is the next one uh, which is the song that soundtracked your clubbing years yeah cybertron i mean it was just techno music and that's kind of one of the earliest prototype you know techno that's probably even before techno was a thing mm-hmm. i think they were just trying to make spacey music they and that was just one atkins and one atkins and i can't remember the name of the other one i was going to make a note of it yeah. but they just probably turned on the, you know, the keyboards and thought let's just make robot music yeah you know and um it's punk as fuck as well isn't it? yeah it's really 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 good and also hearing that on a sound system you know where, it, where the sound is actually just thumping through your chest you know it's actually affecting your heart physically um yeah and even you know i have like a nine and nine and i have an 808 and i have a whole bunch of keyboards but i just there's something about making music with just the bare minimum that's just incredible you know you haven't got every single app that can do that you've just got two machines and they're just incredible yeah yeah i was like listening to um like early early depeche mode and you know they must have just got an 808 drum machine for one of their albums because it's just everywhere. And, you know, they probably just turned the presets on and just went, oh, this one's got a bit of a reggae flavour. We'll do, like, a little electronic reggae song. Yeah. But, yeah, there's, there's something to be said for doing a lot with a little because you just push it more. Because so you can afford. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the, the club I mentioned to you earlier um, that I've worked at forever and a day, that's mm. Depeche Mobile resident band. They're, they're obviously local lads and yeah. uh, so i've got loads of desk recordings from them around the speak and spell era no and stuff way. like that and it is you can tell they're literally going to fall one synth yeah and then it's like right what can we master with this and yeah. obviously they mastered some incredible pop music yeah and, uh, no, it's incredible i was listening to their um what, what album was it i was listening to an album yesterday i went down to uh, a market called kempton 
Kenton Market sort of picking road signs and different bits and pieces. And, yeah, I play that in my car on the way down and on the way back on repeat. It's just brilliant. Yeah, cracking band. On cassette. Love it. <laughs> yeah. you still got a cassette player in the car? That's all I got. Oh, amazing. I, I, all I have is, like, I got a, a 1985 car and I have 1985 tapes. So it's all just, you know. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so what did, you, what did you want from clubbing? That's a very good question. Wow, what did I want from clubbing? I wasn't really sure what it was, really. I just kind of walked into it. The first week I was there, my buddy Nick, who was kind of the designer of the clothing company, just said, hey, I'm going to take you to this place. And we just... You this know, is in San Francisco, this right? This is in San Francisco. And we just walked into it, and it was just incredible. And, you know, let's face it, we all got on an E and just had the most amazing time. Yeah. I wanted to marry everyone that night and live in San Francisco forever. Um, but I think... The sense of community that you got from, you know, sort of, we had a secret of like this sort of underground um, music culture. And it was incredible in San Francisco at the time because this was sort of pre Wired magazine, but you had, um, there was a magazine called Mondo 2000 and they were sort of, you know, sort of working with people who were doing virtual reality. So it was the beginning of sort of Silicon Valley and all of that. So you'd have these sort of weird heads from, you know, sort of the internet, not the internet, even pre-internet, but, you know, sort of computer hackers, and then you'd have ravers, and then you'd have hell's angels, and you'd have all these different types of people just kind of colliding. And, you know, and the music was just incredible as well. I never really um, knew a lot about that type of music until I got there. And then it just, you know, I spent... I immersed myself in it and then started going out and DJing and also making music. I got into um, working with a record label called Fax that was run by a guy called Pete Namluk. So I made electronic music for the, um, for the label and then collaborated with other artists on that. And then wherever I've been, I've always you know, started with a drum machine and then a keyboard. And then you know, I'm just a, a collector of... Uh, musical equipment. Is that a passion project? Yeah. I mean, I've, I release probably, I probably release an album every year. Um, I can't say that I'm making a lot of money from that side of things. You know, I'd say the Pure Evil merch is doing a lot better than the uh, Charles Russell Edwards music. But it's something that I love doing and it just relaxes me. And yeah. it's fun just to sort of hang out with your buddies and set up a bunch of drum machines on a table and just get them all running in sync yeah. and then just play something. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, did Breed, correct me if I'm wrong, when you was travelling, you took your drum machine or, or your laptop and, a, and, a, and a, a MIDI keyboard, I imagine, yeah, and made music wherever you was? Wherever I was going, I usually had, um, the basic setup would be the laptop and a little uh, keyboard and maybe a native instruments machine. So I was basically able to sample. Sure. And then, um, you know, say, for example, if you're in Hong Kong in a high-rise and you're looking out over the city, um, you know, then you're going to sort of make music that's based on that. Or if you're on Stinson Beach and there are migrating whales going past and it's, you know, it's 8 in the morning and you're trying to be quiet because your wife's still sleeping, you know, you're making music to that. Or if you're yeah. in Norway and, the, you know, you've just been outside watching the northern lights, then you'll come back inside and just make some music based on yeah. that. So, 
I used to do a lot of what I called environmental music, where if I was in Frankfurt, I'd go into the cathedral and record the sounds or the sounds of the underground, you know, um, the subway or the escalator. And kind of, I think we've all had that point where we're walking back from a club and everything sounds like music, like the rustling of paper in the streets or the wings of a pigeon that you can hear going past your ear. It all sounds like music. And to me, environmental music is just saying, well, you can use these sort of rhythms of life and make them into music. You know, So that, that's kind of been a big thing of me with sort of coming from an ambient background. I'm now thinking, okay, well, with this song, this is what I want to say, going back to what we were talking about yeah. with Quadrophenia. It's like, well, why not bring in rain? Why not bring yeah. in sounds? If you're in Sri Lanka and you're walking, you know, through a temple, I mean, what an incredible, you know, sort of place to record. Yeah. You know, we're recording on like a Tascam right now, but, you know, you're walking through um, like, a, like a dried out mangrove swamp with a Tascam, you know, sort of stereo microphone and recording all of that. Then when you play it back somewhere else, you, you know, you, you, you can help people to travel to that point. Okay, well, let's let's touch on the the gallery um, before we uh, get on to the the next track. Mm-hmm. So, how did the the gallery come around and 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 and, and got opened? Going through San Francisco, um, you know, to my sort of clothing design um, job on the you know in the week, and you know, coming back from a weekend of you know doing sort of you know chilling out and DJing at you know whatever rave it was. I'd see a lot of graffiti out there. I'd see graffiti by one artist called Reminis, and she painted white horses to the streets of San Francisco. They were incredible. And also Barry McGee, Twist. And so when I came back to London, I was aware of what Banksy was doing, and there was Fail, and there was Bast. And being in Shoreditch, you saw all these amazing stencils. And so I also started going out and cutting stencils and spray painting. But I wanted a, a physical space to be able to show my work. At a point when I just finished my first solo show, I did, a, you know, I did pretty well. Um, I sold a bunch of work, and I thought, right, let's put this back into actually opening up a space. So I opened up um, Purival Gallery on Leonard Street. And it was kind of inspired by a gallery called the Alleged Gallery that was in New York, that was an old bodega that had been turned into a gallery. And... Having tried to get my father's work into galleries, I realized that they didn't really want to know. So you had to really make your own culture rather than going cap in hand to the galleries and Mm -hmm. saying, hey, would you like to show this artwork? And it kind of came from that DIY culture of you want to do a party, we'll get a generator and get some speakers, you know, and just do it yourself. Yeah. Um, So that DIY culture was really useful when it came to opening up, you know, my own gallery and then inviting other artists to be involved and to do shows. It was really simple. And it was the Aaron Rose, who was the, the guy who started Alleged, had said something in an interview. He just said, paint the walls white, pay the electricity bill. You've got a gallery. That's as simple as it needs to be. You know, and then you can put your friend's artwork up. And that's really, really how, how simple it was for me. It was just having the space getting the artwork up and then just seeing what happened. Yeah. And now it's, you know, there are two galleries and I work with other galleries, you know, around the world and do shows and I'm very lucky to be able to do something that I love and I can't wait to get up and go to the gallery and make art and, you know, sort of plan. Like recently I've just 
been to Oaxaca in Mexico and found there's a whole incredible culture of printmakers and artists uh, in Oaxaca. And so I've been down there, met up with uh, one place, and I've now got a bunch of their artwork that I'm working on presenting as a show in the gallery. So it's nice to actually have the space to do my own thing, but then also, you know, rather than build a, build a wall, let's build a bridge and let's yeah. bring, you know, sort of other artists here. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Favourite song from an artist from your hometown? Yeah, I'm cheating here because my hometown would be like, you know, Upper Kumturuk or Ammonford or something like yeah. that. But I really consider, you know, California to be my hometown as well, San Francisco. So, yeah, Shaggy Otis. And just, it is sun-drenched and psychedelic and beautiful. And that's what I think about when I think about the West Coast. Okay. Um, what was the live scene like in in San Francisco? We had bands that would come, but mainly it was more about people making music in their bedrooms and in their studios and sort of people making electronic music. It was less about the band. You know, when you had, I think, Moby and Aphex Twin uh, came, and, you know, when you go and see an Aphex Twin gig, you're basically just looking at the top of his head over a laptop, you know, and he's doing all kinds of other stuff as well. But it's less about... Check me out. I'm on the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got like you know tight trousers, and I'm gyrating, and you're going to enjoy my performance. Yeah. It's more about listening to the music. I literally saw. Um, I, I love watching um, old reruns of Top of the Pops on a Friday night, mm. and uh, and Moby was on there doing Go. And there's nothing to look at. He wasn't it, it, even it, it, playing anything at these gigs in San yeah. Francisco. He had a recording that he was playing, and I think he paid someone to actually play the keyboard. But it, the keyboard wasn't plugged in. It was just like Top of the Pops. Yeah. You know, because people are... They, if there's a keyboard sound, it's nice yeah. to have someone standing there yeah. wiggling your hands around and looking like you're doing something. Yeah. You know. So did, did, did you not get sort of touched by some of the other stuff that was sort of coming out with guitars from... Obviously, we, we, we mentioned some bands that were pure hacienda kind of classics you know mm. did, did you mentioned the roses earlier did did that you know sort of lead you on to some of the other stuff that you know mondays and things like that you know what the roses played in kingston poly in the cafeteria downstairs i didn't go and see that gig it's like the biggest regret apart from not seeing nirvana either yeah was like not going to see the roses yeah it was for me it was more electronic it was more just people you know, making music and DJs. It was, you know, sort of watching DJs um, mix and play. A little bit of hip-hop, like Jurassic 5, stuff like that. Um, Seeing a little bit of that in San Francisco. But for me, it was, yeah, we were all just drum machines and, you know, electronic music. So by the time, you just mentioned Nirvana there, so maybe sort of 93, uh, well, I suppose late 92, 93, Mm. um, was that music... Were you still in America then? I was still in America. I was there for 10 years. I came back here in 2000. Um, So I was just a raver kid. Yeah. I really was a raver kid for a long, long, long time. But what's kind of nice is then, now, you can kind of go back. Yeah. You know, and you can go, you know, like I've been through a whole bunch of kind of like really listening to My Bloody Valentine and a bunch of shoegaze stuff and really, really, really enjoying that. And then a lot of, you know, sort of amazing melodic American stuff like Deer Hunter. Um, just great guitar music. Yeah. You know, as you're sort of, 
you think, well, if you can play drum machines and you can sequence and you can play keyboards, then why not start to incorporate yeah. guitars and live stuff into it as well, which takes it to yeah. another level. I think there's been a just a, a I, I can hear so much in, in, in new guitar music I listen to, mm. the, the, the kind of impact of my bloody valentine and and some of the shoegaze stuff from back then it seems to be sort of really prevalent in the, the sort of the newer guitar music that i'm really enjoying at the moment it seems to be finally sort of getting acknowledged as a as a legit genre of its time you know like last year sort of slow dive released new music ride released new albums yeah. it was i see chapter house for playing live shows is some mm. some great music from then i think also it's probably like you know our kids starting to go through our record don't say that mate Whoa. don't say that <laughs> <laughs> what's this you know yeah oh dear yeah. all right last track and uh and it's an opportunity for you to uh, turn someone onto something that they may not have heard. Great choice. Bit self-indulgent, <laughs> I know, but I thought I'd play one of my my own songs. Um, yeah, this was just recorded back at the house. I was just Lisa, my wife, has been listening to a lot of um, meditation um, things. She'll go off and like meditate in the bath for half an hour, and you have this woman kind of talking about expanding your consciousness and all of this and it kind of relates back to you know when we were in our rave days and it was all about you know expanding our consciousness and you know sort of communicating with aliens and you know all this kind of thing so i kind of wanted to make you mean taking a shitload of drugs right taking a shitload of drugs (laughs) yeah basically taking a shitload of drugs in a field or in in a warehouse or something like that um so i've definitely found it really helpful to meditate it really helps me to kind of calm my mind and you know at times when you've just got too much stuff on in in your head being able to kind of clear that way and relax and so this was a sort of a nod to that it was like the the track that i wanted to be listening to when i was sort of meditating when did Um, you make that sorry when did you make it Probably about three years ago, but then I remixed it and then I added beats to it. What I love doing is having tracks that I'm working on and then putting them away for a little while and then coming back to them and being able to re-listen to them. Like I have some of them playing on repeat in the gallery from time to time. And when the music starts, I'm not really aware of what it is. And then I'll go, oh, this is cool. But what it needs is this and what it needs is that. And um, it's a funny thing now because... I think you, you, you could be releasing music, but then go back to it in a year's time and slightly change the file. Um, you know, if, if something doesn't quite work, then you can always re- rewrite it and remix it. And this track is cool because I'm going out to... I've got some sort of street art friends in Paris, and they've got a boat called Fluctuart, and it's an art boat on the side of the Seine opposite from the Grand Palais and they're going to be doing music events and it's going to be a street art museum so we're going out there in the beginning of June and we're going to do music on the boat and we're going to actually release vinyl made on the night of the actual event so the track will get remixed the record will be pressed to vinyl and then we'll actually do the artwork for it as well. So that's something that some, some other musician guys that I've met are going to be remixing it. They've got all the stems and the bits and pieces. And then, you know, we'll just be sort of hanging out on an art boat in Paris making music, which is 
Sounds pretty good to That's me. That's the dream right there. Yeah, exactly. And obviously opposite from the Grand Palais, this incredible building that's got such an incredible um, history. It's just, yeah, there's, there's, you know, those moments don't come along you know, too often. Although they do. I mean, just being able to, you know, through what I love, being able to travel and see, you know, different places and cultures. And, you know, like in the last year, I've been to Teotihuacan, the temples outside Mexico City, and also going to Angkor Wat and visiting the temples there. I just, you know, these are, these are sort of trips that I make where I'm kind of on holiday, but then I'm also doing an art exhibition as well. You know, you come back with so much inspiration from all those things. So what else is coming up? Just more work in the gallery. I've been traveling a lot, and now I've been collecting a lot of different objects, like road signs, um, different things that I want to make into stuff. So a period of just creating. And I've also been going out and harvesting advertising off billboards, like tearing down. You know, when you see, like, a poster that's been stuck on top of a poster behind another one, mm -hmm. and there's layers and layers and layers. But you can kind of grab the whole thing, tear yeah. it down, and then you've got all of these different things that you can tear apart. And you're kind of going back through time because you tear apart two posters, and there's a poster from a year and a half that you know you remember it was out at that time. But the way that it all tears is beautiful. So I like the idea of kind of taking advertising and making it into art and sort of fighting back against all this advertising that we have been bombarded with. You know, we have no choice about, you know, all of this stuff that's constantly hitting us visually when we're walking down the street. So it's nice to be able to tear it down and make it into something different. Wonderful. And those that aren't aware of your work, where's the best place to go and, and check out what Pure Evil does? Uh, PureEvilGallery.com or just Google Pure Evil Gallery, and then yeah, we're in Shoreditch, and I'm pretty much there every day doing my thing. And if I'm not, I'm at home making music. I'm looking at kingfishers. <laughs> Charles, thank you so much. My pleasure. Cheers. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Charles was um, an absolute gentleman. Um, really, really nice guy, and I uh, can't thank him enough for coming and, and spending some time and chatting. Um, as we mentioned at the end, he told you where the, the web address was and stuff. So go and have a look at his artwork. And if you're in East London, then make a beeline for, for Leonard Street and, and go and pop in the gallery and, and have a look. And then why not tie in with a trip to the book club when Scroobius Pip and I have our We Are Lizards night on? There you go. What a day of culture. Go and have a look at some amazing art. Then come and drink some amazing booze. Dance to some incredible records and, uh, and get a sale out of Scroob. That's a good day, right? All right, another episode next week. If you can't wait till then, go and have a look in the back catalogue because there might be some you've missed. Other than that, go and have a look at the Patreon account, www.patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track and go and see what that's all about because there's loads more content over there as well. You're probably really, really bored of my voice by now, so I will love you and leave you and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah? Sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's 
interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson. Um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.